21, 66, 254. What do you think is the significance of those numbers? Well, maybe uh, 21, maybe uh, we're celebrating confirmation today, so maybe you have to be 21 years old to get confirmed in the church. And I know Elijah and Bradley are very tall, uh, but I don't think they could quite pull off 21 yet. So that's not it. Uh, Ron just started a Bible study for us last week on the book of Revelation, so maybe there's some of those numbers... Those symbolic numbers that you find in the book of Revelation that mean different things. No, that's not it either. No, these are actually different numbers of the number of days in a row that you need to carry out a certain action that psychologists and medical professionals and motivational speakers would say, this many days you need to do the same action in a row every single day in order for it to become a habit. In fact, most of the reading and the research that I did just a little bit said that that idea of 21 days, kind of three weeks in a row, really probably is not going to form a habit. It's going to take much longer than that. In fact, you have that last number, 254 days. I mean, that's, the, that's two-thirds of the year. That means that when you make your New Year's resolution in January, you have to do that every single day from January 1st to August 31st if you want it to continue in your life. Of course, maybe we need to define and, and discuss a little bit exactly what we mean by a habit. So I found a definition. It was in this medical journal, the British Journal of General Practice, Dr. Benjamin Gardner. He's from the University College in London. And he says that within psychology, habits are defined as actions that are triggered automatically in response to contextual cues that have been associated with their performance. Now, that was a lot of words. When you get in a car, what's the first thing you do? Hopefully put on your seatbelt. That's the contextual cue. You got in the car and the action that was triggered automatically was put on my seatbelt. But how many days in a row did it take after you had graduated from being strapped into the car seat to buckling your own seat? How many days in a row did your parents have to say, buckle your seatbelt? Until that became just automatic. And so that's why some of these numbers are a bit higher. Do you think that the same types of numbers would apply when we talk about the habits of a disciple? When you think about that, it's really saying that habits take formation, time and commitment 
is required. And so that's our first note for today. Habits take formation. Is that the same for the habits of a disciple? Today, the habit of a disciple that we are taking a look at is that disciples of Jesus do good. Is that broad and general enough for you? (laughs) Jesus, what do you want me to do? Good. Great, thanks. Really helpful. Which is why I'm really glad that we're taking a look at Romans chapter 12. Because usually when it's best practice when you're giving instructions to somebody that you would lay out as many details as possible so that they would know what to do. They'd have clarity there. And it kind of seems like this one fails that test. Do good. But the Apostle Paul, he's going to help us as we look at Romans chapter 12. That early church leader, he said there, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul encouraged those Christians, he encourages us today to approach every single situation Every single event that we come into, every single contextual cue that we receive, and to think about God's will for us and how to respond to that action, that scenario. Because God's will is that good be done. God is good. And his will is good. In fact, Paul said that his will is not only good, it's good for you, good for others around you, but it's pleasing and it is perfect. And Paul really helps us then to define this habit in the verse that actually came before that one. He said, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. And so if you're taking notes here today, that's our next one. Good takes sacrifice. It takes sacrifice to do good. Good sometimes means giving up the things that are important to us. Maybe you're going to sacrifice your plan or your schedule so that you have the time to do good for another. Maybe you're going to sacrifice your dreams, your desires, so that you can meet the needs of another and do good. Maybe the sacrifice is going to hit your wallet or your finances so that you can do good. And Paul says that these are a living sacrifice. This is ongoing action. This is daily. This is a a lifestyle of worship and service to God as we serve others and do good. You know, living sacrifices to me sounds a lot like that definition of a habit that we had before automatic, habitual response of our whole being, daily, with our whole life, every minute, every hour, every day. 
looking and thinking, how can I carry out God's will? And so how many days? How many days in a row of practicing that, of making sure that you did it, would it take before that became automatic for you? Paul really said that the only way that this habit can form is one way. And we're going to get to that in a second. But first of all, this is the way it won't happen. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Have you ever noticed the way that people talk about good? And when we say something is good, we say things like this. That's good for my family. It's good for me. That may be good for you, but it's not so good for me. We think about, I need to do what's good for my kids. I need to do what's good for my career. And now some of those things that I mentioned, they, they are good, right? We care for our kids, care for our family. But did you notice what was part of all those phrases? Me, my. The focus that we often have when we talk about good is a very inward, subjective focus. What do I think is good? We all want to fight for what's good for us. But God's will is objective. And God's will sees good in service to others. And so disciples of Jesus will live counterculturally. And so Jesus' call to us, this call that we hear the Apostle Paul say here when he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, to live counterculturally, Jesus' call here takes commitment. The kind of commitment that we're celebrating today. And these young men who are being confirmed in their faith as they have learned what Jesus has done for them, how important he is to them, and now today they get the opportunity to commit to that. To commit to the life that Jesus calls them to as his disciple. And it really is a life that is counter-cultural because it is a life that has this habit of doing good in service to others. That has this habit of sacrificing for others. And these young men, they need to hear... They need to learn from you what many of you who have made that commitment and you have lived this countercultural life, what you know. That sometimes swimming upstream like that, it gets tiring. Sometimes 
you feel exhausted as a disciple of Jesus. And we know that sometimes because swimming upstream like that is so tiring and we feel so exhausted that sometimes we stop. And we just float along with the stream of culture. We know that sometimes we've failed to examine God's will and, and to test and approve of that and carry it out. Sometimes we have failed to do good. Which is why I am so glad that I have more than psychology to offer you today. It's why I'm so glad that I'm not just going to hand you a, a printout of a habit tracker so that you have all these boxes and you can check off 21, 66, 254 days of, of doing good. That you have someone so much better than an accountability partner. You have someone infinitely more powerful than a habit tracker app you can download. There's one crucially important thing that I haven't said yet about this habit of doing good. But Paul did. And in fact, Paul said it first. Right away, he said, in view of God's mercy. You see, in order to form this habit of doing good in our lives, it has to be based on a strong foundation, and that is the foundation in view of God's mercy. The habits of a disciple, they always begin with God's mercy. A focus on His incredible compassion that He has shown to us. This section that we're looking at, it's about two-thirds of the way through Paul's letter to those Christians in the city of Rome. Can you imagine what part one and part two were? If this is starting part three, part one and part two, do you, do you know what they were all about? God's mercy. God's grace and love and forgiveness shown in Jesus Christ. Paul laid out mercy after mercy after mercy that God has shown to his people. To you and to me. And then he said, in view of that. Then he gave these instructions. See, our God is in the habit of doing good. That is his immediate reaction and response even to the contextual cues of sin and rebellion and failure. He immediately responds in mercy and compassion and grace. You see that. Right? Adam and Eve fell in the garden, God's immediate response, grace, mercy. I will clothe you, I will care for you, and a Savior will come. 
sin forgiven. And it continues for us. Jesus came, he offered his body as a living sacrifice. He offered his body even to death and then he rose again from the grave for our forgiveness. Mercy to us. And he continues daily. For every time you've conformed to a habit of this world, for every time you've conformed to jealousy and envy, God's response? Mercy. Forgiveness. For every time you conform to laziness or disorder or apathy, God's immediate response? Mercy. Forgiveness. For every time you've conformed to the habit of overindulgence or wastefulness, God's response? Mercy. God's mercies to you have been multiplied again and again every single day. And that mercy of God transforms us. Habits take formation. The habits of a disciple of Jesus take transformation. And that transformation comes about by God's mercy. God promises to us here that he will daily renew our minds And so we start right there with this clear awareness, this joyful reception of God's mercy. And how that mercy shown in Jesus Christ, that that transforms our very lives. It transforms us so that we can answer that call to commitment that Jesus has for us. The message of the Bible, the mercy that God has shown us, it will transform your heart and your mind so that you can examine God's will, so that you can act and do good. His mercy will transform your heart so that you can offer yourself as a living sacrifice serving others. His mercy will transform you so that you can conform to the patterns of of your own dear Savior. He took the opportunity to do good. When he read the context and he saw the signs, everyone dressed in black, the sobs that slipped out, the moanings and the wailings that were muttered from that crowd. The tears that slowly streamed down the face, those hard-set faces of the men who were carrying the casket in their hands, but their hearts felt a much heavier burden. And the woman who followed behind, who had lost everything, Jesus saw that context and he responded with good. And it was countercultural. Can you imagine Jesus going up? Stop the casket. He didn't know these people. Culture would have said, give them their space, respect them, don't interject yourself into that situation. But not Jesus. 
Stop the casket. Don't cry. And then Jesus used supernatural means to deliver good. He, he performed a miracle, but don't let that make you think that you couldn't have brought good to that dark situation also. Yes, Jesus was able to use supernatural means, but you have natural means that you can use to offer comfort and encouragement. Maybe God has given you those opportunities. As you look out at the world and the people that surround you, what are those opportunities you have to do good? Maybe he's given you financial means that you can use to support our church or another charity and do good. Or an individual, a friend. Maybe he's given you the opportunity in acts of service, simple things, raking leaves, mowing someone's lawn, delivering a meal, supporting others that way. Maybe he's given you the means to be empathetic and to sit with people in their grief or their sorrow or their pain and pray for them. Maybe you have the means to to speak well and to encourage and equip others for service, to build them up. Whatever means God has given you, use them to do good. It is true, this habit of a disciple to do good, it it is so broad because there are so many ways that we can do good. In view of God's mercy, let's commit to that. And while it starts, and it can only start on that foundation of God's mercy, maybe there are tools that would help us. Maybe you would grow in your living worship as you track items daily. I think it would be an awesome next step for you to go up to another Christian and and ask for them to be an accountability partner to ask you how you're carrying out your Christian life. And I hope and I pray that some of you, you see these young men who are committing to their faith today and you think, I could mentor them. I could encourage them as they continue to grow in that faith. And we pray for them. We pray for all of us. And we ask that God's incredible mercy would transform our lives and create in us this habit of a disciple, this habit of doing good. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.